0: This is David Nage with my co-host, Amanda Frankel. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors learn about crypto.
1: This is Base Layer. This week, we had Craig Burell join us from Reciprocal Ventures to discuss everything from the evolution of financial infrastructure to security tokens and STO hype, um, as well as discussing whether or not we think the emergence of STOs is another iteration of the blockchain, not Bitcoin argument. Um, I thought it was really interesting to hear sort of a fresh perspective on STOs given the large amount of hype that surrounded security token offerings in recent history. What do you think, David?
0: I really like Craig's perspective on crypto infrastructure he was very early into, uh, into things like radar relay and to 0x and I liked the discussion that we had about kind of making the sausage. Uh, Craig comes from an institutional background and he really understands the complexities of financial instruments and financial markets and how they relate to uh, crypto. So I found that was a really interesting perspective. And I also really like Craig because he's a very deep thinker on valuation. And we've had a lot of conversations on valuations within crypto. And I think what he's talking, thinking about and uh, kind of putting together is a really valuable metric on how to actually start valuing some of the private deals. So with that, I'll let Amanda talk about our disclaimer.
1: All right, everyone, please remember that... No- Thing on this podcast is financial investment or legal advice, or should be considered as such. Uh, please do your own research.
0: And on the flip side, you'll hear from our sponsor. Enjoy. This. 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 the block is a leading news and information source in the cryptocurrency and blockchain space the team of experts provides deep objective research analysis and journalism on a daily basis via its website and newsletter check out the block at theblockcrypto.com this is david
1: and this is amanda
0: and this is Base Layer. This week, we have Craig Burrell from Reciprocal Ventures joining us today. How are you doing, Craig?
2: Good. Thanks a lot for having me. Excited to be here.
0: So if you could, you have a uh, really interesting role at Reciprocal. You're investing in the infrastructure of crypto. If you could, you know, give the listeners a little bit of a backdrop about you and about the firm, about what you guys are doing there and uh, how you're helping build out the infrastructure in crypto.
2: Yeah, definitely. So uh so reciprocal ventures were uh, early stage venture capital firm. We're a few years old, founded back in 2016 uh by uh one of my partners, Mike Steinberg. And uh and the original goal was to focus primarily on financial technology. And uh over time we've kind of noticed that you know financial technology has encompassed more and more uh you know different kind of niche verticals, uh like things like AI things like uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain. And uh, and that's when I decided to join the firm back in 2017 to really take over those kind of future tech verticals, quote unquote. So a um, little bit about me and my background. Um, so I started my career at Morgan Stanley working on the equity trading floor and really cool time to, uh, to kind of to be there. Uh, essentially, you know, the best top Uh, tech IPOs of that era were coming through our trading floor and had an opportunity to see kind of the inner workings of uh, the capital markets and uh, in those businesses. And that's kind of where my interests have always lied at the the intersection of of technology and capital markets. Um, After I did my, you know, two years there, decided that I wanted to get more hands-on with the technology and join a startup to, to help build something. So I joined at a company that at the time was a smaller business called Fiscal Note. They just raised a seed round. It's an AI company focused on the uh, the regulatory and political space. And they were looking for someone to kind of help scale that business, uh, you know, from, from idea to, you know, repeatable revenue process. And that's what I did. So I joined on as, as the first salesperson and over you know the course of three years went from you know kind of individual contributor to manager to senior manager and executive and uh, and helped that business become very successful. and it's and it's still doing incredibly well. But more importantly, that is actually where I came across Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So being that we were in the regulatory space, we were supporting and and you know helping uh, startups and and large enterprises who are dealing with headwinds in the in the regulatory realm. so we actually onboarded Coinbase as an early customer of ours, an early partner. And, uh, and they introduced me to the, the wild world of crypto. And, and that was back in around 2014, 2015. It's kind of when I fell down the rabbit hole. And, uh, and that's why when I joined Reciprocal, I made a big push for us to focus on this space as kind of a, a sub-vertical of, uh, of fintech. Um, so when I started uh, full-time at Reciprocal in 2017... Um, you know, I started following. I guess the what could be called the earliest uh, companies in DeFi. Um, so companies like Augur, ZeroX, um, Maker, and uh, was an early investor in in X, Invested in a company built on X called Radar Relay. Uh, invested in a few other companies. Uh, and over the last two years, I've really been working to not only build out our presence and our, and our pipeline in, in the crypto space, but also our platform for you know uh, focusing on the space full-time, supporting the founders uh, you know, based on their specific needs in crypto. Um, and, uh, and now, two years later, I'm focused on it full-time. So I just want to
0: dig in here a little bit. So a lot of people always focus on the when. When they mm-hmm. found Bitcoin, when they when they had that moment where they went down the rabbit hole, I would like to hear because you're from the institutional side, you were at Morgan Stanley, you spent time at mm-hmm. a startup. What about it? What about Bitcoin? What about the, the crypto, you know, kind of crypto you know, currency, cryptographic technology? What about mm-hmm. it actually really said, you know what? This is what I got to do for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Great question.
2: Uh, so, one of the, the well, there's a couple things, right? So, having the kind of inside view of, of capital markets and, and you know, how the sausage gets made, so to speak, uh, you know, I really understood the complexity and the, uh, you know, and a lot of times the additional logistical costs that are created by something like a, you know, a large investment bank. And, Seeing something, uh, you know, in, in the case of Bitcoin, that's so elegant uh, in, in accomplishing this uh, peer-to-peer settlement layer, um, it really just amazed me and, and it immediately illustrated the, the potential uh, for the technology in my eyes. And When I came to Reciprocal, I think that was further exacerbated by, um, by my discovery of Ethereum and, uh, and some of the early DeFi players. And I really, uh, you know, with 0x, for example, in uh, the idea of decentralized exchange, you know, I thought this is an even clearer uh, the disintermediating power that it has.
1: Um, so I want to focus in for a second. I, I know you just unpacked a lot, but I going to specifically focus mm-hmm. on your mention of um, decentralized exchange technology. Um, yeah. Because there's been recent controversy around the use of these DEXs as a way to kind of circumvent exchange regulations, and there's actually Mm -hmm. been recent enforcement actions as I think we all saw a few months ago with EtherDelta. So how do you view the DEX technology evolving um, as a component of the future financial infrastructure?
2: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, there's a lot going on there. Um, So Radar's CEO, Alan Curtis, he likes to say that decentralized exchange is a verb. It's not a noun, right? So I think you have to look at the context on a venue by venue basis. And and yeah, the, it, as of late, the term DeX has has taken a bit of a, a pejorative connotation, and I think that stems from certain venues choosing to leverage, uh, you know, that that DeX technology for regulatory arbitrage. Um, but Radar has taken a very hardline stance that they're not going to they're not going to do that. They're a U.S. company. They're going to abide by U.S. law, and uh, they they won't engage in regulatory arbitrage. So. As far as the future for DEX technology and how we view it when we invest in radar and how we continue to see it, you know, we see it playing as I kind of alluded to Bitcoin and then then DEX infrastructure, both kind of contributing to that settlement layer. I think DEX technology can play a very critical role for routing, uh, routing currency, routing tokens through a more open financial ecosystem. Um, So when I talk to radar and uh, the R and D guys there, they very much have their eyes forward on uh, some of the most cutting-edge things that are being worked on in the space, everything from, you know, cross-currency, cross-chain, um, you know, integrating with Lightning, uh, and also uh, advancing the decentralized technologies to enable uh, things like automated trading, which are which are difficult today. But uh, a lot going on under the hood there, and uh, super excited about its potential long-term.
0: So, so- you're hitting on kind of what the future may lie in DeFi, which you know, for other people that might not know what the acronym means, can you just tell what people what DeFi means? Because there may, may be people who don't understand that.
2: Yeah, well, it's funny because, you know, we I guess that's that's a space we've honed in on for a, a couple of years now. And I think the, the hashtag DeFi has come about in the last, I don't know, few months. I guess it stands for, <coughs> excuse me, decentralized finance. Um, but we like to think of it as, you know, more, open finance, you know, enabled by this technology. I don't think uh, we need to, to make it overly complex or complicated,
1: right. um,
2: but, but that's what we're thinking about. We're thinking about, you know, how do we disintermediate some of the layers of existing incumbent infrastructure in finance to uh, either increase access for people globally, uh, lower the cost of participation uh, for existing participants, Um, yeah. And what
0: are some, what are some of those incumbents? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny, it depends a little bit on what area of financial services you look at, but pretty much everywhere there's kind of like this seven layer dip of, of incumbents who have uh, wedged their way in to take a piece of the margin uh, as value transfers from, from one party to another. So, you know, in payments there are, you know, Payments processors, payments gateways. There's forex. There's settlement. There, you know, the list goes on and on. And each of them share in in kind of that that top line revenue that moves through the system. Similarly, in you know in banking, uh, you know, where you have clearing and settlement, you have the underwriter, you have distribution. All of these different areas. Now, in investment banking, a lot of those pieces have been aggregated and rolled up. And the investment banks have gotten larger and larger and larger uh, over, over the last few decades. But, um, but still an example of, of how uh, you know, that top line you know, gets owned by more and more layers that could be simplified uh, by an elegant technology.
1: So within the uh, investment banking stack, uh, the biggest market focus I would say recently has probably been on STO hype, um, security token mm-hmm. issuance. Um, and do you think that these security token offerings are just a new iteration of the ICO frenzy that sort of hit twenty seventeen and early twenty eighteen? Um, where does the true value lie there?
2: Hmm. Well, I don't. I don't think we necessarily think of it as an iteration of the ICO. I think. Um, I think maybe it took some of the tailwinds of the ICO and, and used that to kind of. You know, perpetuate itself into into existence, or you know, uh, you know, roll off that hype, I guess you could say. But I think when we got under the hood and and really looked at the STO space, we thought that it was an iteration in systems of record for securities. Um, So it's funny because you know, similarly to the existing space. Um, you know, because of the regulatory requirements and, uh, and kind of that flow of funds, you see individual players attacking each layer of infrastructure in the stack. So everything from underwriting to advisory to issuance to exchange, they all have their own kind of individual players who are, who are trying to eat away at that, that pie. And, you know, as far as value capture in that space, you know, we felt that that, that system of record thesis held the most water. So wherever you know the cap table lies, wherever that data lies, um, you know that's where the users are going to have the highest switching cost, and uh, and the providers will probably have the the strongest moat. But that said, that area of the stack is already an incredibly competitive segment, ju- just from from large incumbents. So you have, you know, computer shares, Bank of New York, Mellon, Core Connects, Carta, you know, all all large companies that have thousands and thousands of cap tables on record, and they're, you know, working on or thinking of or have some skunk works to kind of laterally move into this space and, and potentially either tokenize or digitize uh, that data using a blockchain. Um, so we, we weren't super confident that the new entrance had a significant enough IP edge compared to these incumbents. And, uh, and additionally, you know, we we didn't get super excited about about the use cases for or certain use cases for uh, for the STOs.
0: So, with your experience, you said, and I think I should I quote you, you saw how the sausage was made. Was that your quote? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, if you were to kind of think forward, you know, say five years from now in DeFi, how do you think the sausage is going to be made? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, one of the opportunities that that DeFi brings us, or, you know, just decentralized technology in general, is to kind of strip out some of the logistical pain and and nuance that exists inside overly complex organizations. So, um, you know, right now, an investment bank serves a couple different purposes. So, a couple different purposes. So, it centrally manages relationships with corporates on one side, and prices their equity and debt and then manages uh, its relationships with institutional investors on the other side and and helps provide access to those corporations for those institutional investors. I think in an ideal world, I'm not sure if DeFi is going to get all the way there, but in an ideal world that, that screams for an automated solution where it's more effective and efficient to price securities, matchmaking between public companies and public investors, uh, for new issues is is more seamless process. Um, and I think we're starting to see the very, very earliest uh, innovations coming forth that could provide those services in a more uh, automated fashion. So uh, debt issuance platforms are becoming a thing, derivatives platforms are becoming a thing. Um, you know I think all of that is kind of leading into the possibility that we have a more automated, Uh, capital raising and issuance process uh, in the future.
1: So when you're looking at these large organizations, then, um, you know, I I personally am a big believer that in the next two to three years, we're going to see a lot of really interesting crypto M&A activity, whether it's small companies merging to take on a big incumbent or big incumbents um, buying technologies as opposed to building. Do you believe that large um, existing institutions, things like um, Bank of New York Mellon, are going to be buying infrastructure related to uh, managing digital securities, or do you think they're going to be building in-house?
2: Hmm. And that's uh, specifically with regards to security token type offerings.
1: Um, yeah, let's let's stay on security tokens. I think otherwise it gets too broad. Got
2: it. Yeah, so um, so it's definitely possible. Um, uh, you know, I know they're all experimenting with with their own technology, and and they'll all do kind of their own little buy versus build analysis internally. I think it's certainly possible that they there's an aqua hire type of, type of situation to bring on the team, bring on the talent, bring on the technology. But it, it depends a lot on, on the internal culture of the financial institution. Every, every large enterprise has a slightly different mentality uh, as, as far as their preference between building and buying. Um, you know, I think it's, it's something we see a lot more often in uh, big tech and in big finance, there, there's a lot more of a tendency to to build internally. But you know that can that can certainly change, especially when you know the domain might be a little bit outside of their core competency. Like it might not be a lending or an underwriting business or a mid-market bank uh, to access more customers that look exactly like their current customers or similar to their current customers. Um, if it's a slightly new domain or slightly new niche of a market. Uh, buying might be the, the preference or might be the logical decision there.
0: So keeping on the SDO theme, just kind of to wrap up some thoughts on there, there's this notion and there's this been this kind of call out, um, and I think uh, the Block just uh, made a mention of this yesterday. Uh, some folks in Davos said you know, this whole notion of blockchain, not Bitcoin. What do you make mm-hmm. of that argument? And what do you guys think of that argument?
2: Yeah. The, the blockchain, not Bitcoin, and STO uh, kind of phases in, in the development of this technology, um, you know, they're, they're these sleeves of experimentation. And it, it's cohorts of people who are trying to take this new and unfamiliar technology. And they're trying to figure out what's possible with it. And they're trying to, trying to commercialize it in their own way. And I, and I think that should generally be encouraged. Um, I think it, it definitely gets away from the initial ideology and intention of the technology. Um, and what we're most excited about is, is kind of getting back to that uh, initial intention and finding ways to commercialize it while not, uh, not sacrificing that decentralization aspect. Um, you know, I think over the last few years, we, we've been afforded uh, a lot of tailwinds by ways of, of hype and, and capital flowing into the space so we could focus exclusively on developing really cool tech and, and seeing where the technology can go and what it's capable of. Um, and in, in doing that, a lot of the technology we've developed is very, is very general purpose. And I think the next iteration that we want to see is very special purpose design, decentralized technology that that not only has a specific use case in mind, but uh, founders are willing to think through the applicability of new business models and and how delivery of the technology has to change from existing business models uh, to not sacrifice on the decentralization. Because I think... um, you know, the STO and the blockchain, not Bitcoin, has been an attempt to um, iterate on the business model side of things while not really innovating on the business model side of things, if that makes sense. It's kind of taking existing business models that we know and love and applying them to this this technology, which which hasn't really worked. So, um, so yeah, that, that's kind of our two cents on it, I guess.
1: Um, so, stepping outside of finance, I know we, we've spent quite a bit of time um, in in the STO and traditional finance world, mm-hmm. uh, what do you think is sort of the dark horse um, in, in the non financial applications of crypto and blockchain right now?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so something we've we've been really focused on, like I said, is, is that that business model component. So a couple of things that that we screen for, we look generally outside of uh, of fintech for a couple of things. Um, one, there has to be kind of a special use for the technology. So an audience that is going to be served that you're solving a serious problem for. And, you know, I myself could pick up the phone and call someone who, who's a you know, constituent of that audience and talk to them and say, hey, you know, tell me about how you're doing this. Right. Tell me about how we can make this better And that technology that the, the startup is developing is directly applicable. Uh, and then, obviously, we like to see large markets where that is applicable. So things that that we're excited about are um, you know unbundling cloud services. I think there's you know a big uphill battle there, given the uh, monopolistic scale that existing cloud services providers uh, have. But I think there are opportunities to start picking off uh, components for the decentralized world. That cloud service providers uh, you know, serve the purpose of in the in the centralized world today. And I think that's an example of where if you're a decentralized company, you know, you may have significant problems in reading and writing data to your blockchain, for example, or several blockchains. And you might need to have an indexing solution that allows you to query and pull and write data. Uh, to and from a blockchain super effectively. But you don't want to rely on a centrally hosted cloud service provider like Amazon or uh, you know someone else uh, for that service. Um, so those are the types of things that we're, we're super excited about in, uh, in the outside of fintech world, I guess.
1: So when you think about decentralized versions of the cloud, then there's been quite a few projects that raised um in the twenty seventeen area, whether it was mm-hmm. file, coin, or storage. Um and now not not for you to name a specific project, but do you think that there are, is a good solution out there to disintermediate the monopoly that a lot of cloud services have? Or do you think that there's still mm-hmm. that's still something that's in the works?
2: Yeah, I, I, well I definitely think it's still something in, in that's in the works. And uh, like I said, or to kind of unpack what I said a little further, I don't necessarily think it's going to be one company that, that kind of addresses, um, you know, kind of the entire cloud suite. But it'll be a similar movement to what we've seen in financial services, where, you know, if you look at kind of the market map of, of players in, in fintech, right, there's a startup for almost every component of what a large bank can offer an end user. And I think we're going to start to see and have started to see uh, a similar trend play out in decentralized technology with large cloud service providers, where if you go to kind of the product offering options on, you know, Amazon Web Services, you know, you're very slowly but surely starting to see companies pick apart those, those offerings and offer individual uh, decentralized versions of that service.
0: So moving forward, there's been a kind of a disruption between the private and the public markets. The public market obviously had a massive capitulation going from 850 billion in market cap to where we're at like 120 billion as of today. And all the while the private market deals have been fairly healthy, if I can say so myself. Mm -hmm. Um, You have shown a lot of prowess in terms of understanding and trying to think about valuation on the private side. And mm-hmm. so, I'd love for you to be able to share some of your thoughts on valuation as we are today in the in the private markets on the deals that are coming to market, how they're being valued, what kind of metrics and KPIs are they are they being are they being, uh, are they being uh, used right now, and any models that you are thinking of that might actually have uh, credence.
2: Yeah, definitely. So. Absolutely. So we've gone through this this kind of you know cyclical downturn in in public asset prices. and I really so I, I guess I've seen the beginning of the impact on private markets. So we've started to see slightly more sobered private market valuations, but um, but I don't think we're there yet. I, I think there's there's still a lot of a lot of way to go as far as bringing those valuations back down to reality based on, based on stage and progress of the business. Um, so I think what we're we're going to see on the private side is, and we've already begun to see this, is uh, you know, we're gonna go back to a progressed, a progress-based, merit-based fundraising process, um, where, you know, folks like myself, venture capital firms, angels come in and represent investors in, in the early stages. Uh, and in exchange for the opportunity to invest at, at those early stages, we provide value adds to the company. And I think, you know, that definitely does look slightly different in, in a decentralized or a cryptocurrency blockchain world. Um, but, uh, but that value exchange will happen between institutional and angel investors and founders. And it will be much shorter duration financing. So, what are your goals over the next year? Let's let's kind of reverse engineer how much capital you need to obtain those those goals. How much dilution, you know, do you want to do you want to take? What are you What are you as a founder optimizing for? And then we'll work around some valuation. But I think it's going to fall much more closely in line with traditional uh, traditional venture capital fundraises. And uh, you know, as far as specifically valuing cryptocurrency and and blockchain companies, I think, you know, we have to kind of get back to a fundamental mindset in in what we're evaluating. So again, thinking about, you know, the use case of the technology and realistically, you know, who are the end users and who are the end users that you're going to get over the next year, two years, three years, so on and so forth, right? Like really thinking through, um, you know, the, the, uh, kind of customer acquisition and, and revenue model of the business, and it doesn't necessarily have to, at the end of the day, be top line revenue for the company if you decide to decentralize over time. But I think that is how we need to be thinking about it. You know, what value are you creating, and who are you creating that value for? And that's the the basis, the the most I think the most basic fundamental for for valuing anything. Um, so that's how we're starting to think about it and and I think when you when you get to the more the later stages of a decentralized company's growth it gets a little bit more complex you know because you are you know going to be owning that token and it is still a little ambiguous how decentralized networks will will operate and function and and who that value will be or where that value will be accruing to i think in the the best systems today there's kind of a multi-tiered approach where the token is almost abstracted away from those who are actually using the service, and the token serves the purpose of capitalizing the network. In exchange for that capitalization, the token holders receive fees and and dividends by way way of inflation, right? And that that inflation is an incentive mechanism to get those early early adopters and early token owners to, uh, to capitalize the network. And I think that's a great model because it, it does actually allow value to accrue to that token long term. Um, but uh, but again, I think those those uh, tokens are still going to be beholden to the same valuation principles that w- that we see in uh, in the network 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 effect based businesses that we we see today. Where uh, the only difference will be is that you have to kind of split the valuation up across. A significant number of decentralized counterparties, and you're coming up with a network value uh, based on future cash flows to those token holders through the ultimate success of the software.
0: A quick follow on to that. So, you're talking about the user a lot, and you're talking about network mm-hmm. effect. Do you think in the next year we're going to have UI and UX that more people will be able to use and thus? get more users on those systems? Uh,
2: short answer, yes. But to caveat that, I, I, I feel that a lot of the most promising technology right now is more of a B2B purpose technology um, where the UIs and UXs that, that we experience are going to be to kind of help us interact with the technology. I'll give you an example to, to make it clear. So, um, so Livepeer, for example, right? Like they have Livepeer has an explorer, and uh, you know the explorer over the last year has improved immensely in its form, function, and usability. So I definitely think in in a situation like that, right? I think the uh, the the use of the technology is going to improve. I think it's improving every week. Um, but, uh, but I, I still think that one of the core uh, use cases for this technology is, is disintermediation of, of incumbents. And uh, I think that serves businesses the best rather than consumers. I think consumers could benefit at the end of the day by being at the very, very end of the value chain and seeing you know, prices potentially drop right, or, or access to services increase. But I'm not sure if they'll necessarily be the primary beneficiaries from, from a use use standpoint, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: so so um, what, one sort of follow-on there. I, I don't know if you answer can answer this. So if you can, not it's fine. But um, when you think about specific use cases of blockchain technology, is there anything that kind of makes you pause and, and um, not necessarily roll your eyes, but there's, there's a lot of interesting use cases. People are trying to, it, it's almost like they're trying to um, cre- create a market out of thin air for a product that doesn't really have a market. Um, is there anything hmm. in crypto that you think it's either way too early to have product market fit or something that you don't necessarily think is a good use of blockchain technology?
2: Hmm. Well, I think there, uh, there are a lot of things that are way too early to have product market fit in, in the space. Um, and I think they are, and and this is in, in no way, you know, kind of me being a naysayer against these, these products or services, but I think a lot of the theses that are, that are, um, uh, posited in this space are very grandiose. So, um, you know, like Bitcoin replacing gold and, you know, exporting the U.S. financial system to the rest of the world, and I think that's great. Like, it's important. It's important that we we set incredibly high bars uh, for ourselves and for the technology and for the the companies that are building in this space. But um, but yeah, the, you know, those are like decade long visions that that are going to take a while, and take significant failure and and iteration to to succeed. So yeah, I think I think things like that are facing a very uphill battle from a lot of directions and i want I, I just one thing i i'd like the you know folks in the space to do is is take a more pragmatic approach to getting to those visions right let's think about you know our roadmap for this year and and reverse engineer how we get to you know that that big grandiose vision in 10 years like i think uh, it's super important, like I said, to have those 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 big goals in mind and, and you know change the world. But uh, but I I want to see more anchored in goals for the next year, two years, three years um, that result in in getting customers, getting users, and and building the business one step at a time.
0: So I think as we're wrapping up, there's a you know maybe just to give an idea of what are some of the things that you and your team in terms of the news that's happened over the last few weeks, is there anything that's Mm -hmm. really popping up in your mind that's catching your attention that's saying, wow, this might actually start changing the game. That actually might start affecting the markets, uh, either public and private. Is there anything that you guys have been watching or talking about internally that you think is really important right now?
2: Um, Yeah, definitely. So I think uh, it's funny. Anytime you go through a, a big, um, you know, kind of technology cycle, and I'm I'm kind of a history nerd, so I do a lot of reading about um, historical technology cycles and and some of the headwinds that have that have played out.
0: Nice, we're amazing. getting on, we're getting on again. I love I love uh, tech tech history.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually amazing, how, you know, how similar every single tech cycle is to the to the one that we're we're in right now, right? So when canals and uh, trains. Uh, rail transportation for shipping were, were created, they had to essentially actually sit down and think through time. Like, how do we record time in a systematic manner so that we can schedule the delivery of goods? And how do we create time zones, right? So that, because things started moving so quickly, people didn't know how to deal with it. They were used to horse and buggy, right? And if you think about, like, what a fundamentally difficult thing that is to change for people, like the concept of time, uh, you know, I think uh, we're doing all right <laughs> as far as as far as how we're we're innovating and the headwinds we're dealing with in this space. But that ties into to something that we're focused on and, and we we keep an eye on is the legislative and regulatory and, and legal component of this space. And I think, you know, in in the moment, there there's it definitely seems like the U.S. has taken a dr- draconian stance on on crypto. Um, but I think there's there's a lot of hope and a lot of promise, and I think it's almost an inevitability that that we eventually accept cryptocurrency and decentralized development. Um, you know, I think so. There's a Wyoming bill uh, that that came out uh, last week or two weeks ago, and uh, it kind of gives a uh, I guess a safe haven for for cryptocurrency businesses where if you incorporate in, in Wyoming uh you know you will be able to operate with utility tokens you will be able to operate within the decentralized ecosystem and, and you know you'll still obviously be be subject to some of those federal laws but um but it essentially creates a safe place for you to found and, and build your business and we're very bullish on states rights um yeah i think we've seen that <laughs> obviously there's a lot of tension on capitol hill right now uh but um yeah, you know, in during periods of, uh, of strain uh, with the federal system, you start to see things trickle down to the state level. And we've seen that with cannabis. We've seen that with gambling. And, you know, we're hoping that that the same type of trend plays out in cryptocurrency as, as well.
1: Um, so one final question. We've been, we've we realized that we spend a lot of time with our guests talking a lot about crypto, but we like to get to know just a little bit more about you and who you are um sure so what is the movie you most recently went to see in theaters oh
2: my god i can't remember the last time i went to the movies it's been so okay, well long then watched on
1: netflix what's the, what's the last movie you watched on netflix
2: well okay so i'm a huge fan of the show the office i mean who isn't but yeah i find i sit down and we'll just you know have the office on in the background as i'm doing work which you know maybe is weird i don't know but uh <laughs> The last movie I watched was the Fire Fessel documentary on Netflix, which I have to say uh, at the time, I think I was at I, I was either I think I was at Morgan Stanley. I'm not sure. But uh, no, I was at I was at Fiscal Note. And man, I did not know it was that bad. I, you know, festivals aren't really my thing. But uh, wow, that was it was a pretty, pretty gruesome tale, I guess. And super unfortunate that all these people lost that much money.
0: I also know that you're an incessant reader and I've been obviously trying to read as much as humanly possible to thank you, Shane Parrish and the guys in Farnham street for really
2: encouraging me to do that. So what are you reading right now and why? Yes. So a book that I'm super excited about, I'm like halfway through it. Um, it's actually where I learned about the railroad systems and, and having to, to kind of figure out a, a system of time. It's a book called engines that move markets. Um, I'm not sure, you know, if anyone's read the Carlotta Perez book, and you know, she, she talks a lot about long-form technology cycles that that take place over 40, 50 years. Um, and this book kind of unpacks it one layer deeper. So if you go, if you go on kind of like one more micro of a, a level of assessment, they are unpacking the specific drivers, the competitive forces what these executives did to, to, to kind of ultimately win the market and also talks about the boom bust and, and how those, those cycles have played out historically. It's, it's really super fascinating. I, you know, to me, it's more like reading a, you know, a novel or or some kind of fiction rather than reading, you know, a history book, but, um, but really it's, it's a great read and I highly recommend it.
0: And I just bought it last night on Amazon when you recommended it. Awesome. Um, I think one of the last things that we've been asking people lately is, how are you or where are you finding information and learning about crypto and about Mm -hmm. blockchain? What resources, if you could share any, is it crypto Twitter? Is it Reddit? Where are you learning the most, you know, right now?
2: Yeah, so crypto Twitter and, and Reddit definitely help. Um, I think lately, I've been trying to get a little bit more research focused. So trying to get into the Discord channels and the Telegram channels for specific projects who are, who are very deep on the base layer technology, um, or even second layer technology, really see what they're working on, you know, where their headwinds are. And maybe that's just because of my kind of you know specific focus on the space um, but that's where I've been finding a lot of a lot of value as of as of late um, you know as far as you know maybe higher level content I you know I think there are a lot of personalities on Twitter who are who are great to follow and a lot of channels to follow on Twitter um, that are great uh, and, that, and that might be your best bet as far as just kind of consuming uh, you know more more general high level color on what's going on in the space.
1: Well, um, awesome. We appreciate it. And if anybody wants to um, get in touch with you and follow what you're doing, are you on crypto Twitter? Can people come follow you?
2: <laughs> I am on crypto Twitter. Uh, I'm on general Twitter as well. Uh, corny corny dad joke. Yeah. Uh, so my handle is just at Craig Burel, C-R-A-I-G-B-U-R-E-L. Um, yeah, that's the best <laughs> way to get in touch with me.
0: And if anyone wants to learn about what you all are doing at Reciprocal Ventures, where would they go?
2: Yeah, you can go to our website. It's recvc.com. Uh, you can always email me as well. It's just Craig B at recvc.com. Uh, and you can learn more there. Well,
0: thank you, Craig, for joining us. Um, I'm gonna have we're gonna have you back on again to talk about history of technology for sure because that is super interesting as it relates to crypto. Thank you for joining us and looking forward to having you on again.
2: Yeah, this has been great, guys. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks, Greg. Bye, guys. This, this,
0: this.